0: but this is also going to be like a really big sneak peek for everybody that is joining us live because this won't even come out until next Thursday. So you're going to be one week ahead of everybody else in the know. So
1: much much is going to change between now and then. (laughs) It's true.
2: We'll be wrong in more ways than normal. (laughs) That's right.
0: This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Well, it's the Bourbon Community Roundtable, and we've got a great list of topics that we cover in this episode. The first is covering distillery expansion. There are new investments made into multi million dollar distilleries every week, as it seems. There are more brands and product extensions popping up every day, yet, There's a shortage of barrels right now, and that's putting a strain on existing production. But this is all gonna even out over time, and everything will get produced as planned, but are we gonna start seeing an overproduction? And is the G-word gonna rear its ugly head, and what could be the result if we do see a glut? Russell's Reserve is coming out with their new limited edition single Rickhouse extension. Sure, it features barrels that are selected from the former Camp Nelson C, but does this warrant a price tag of $250? Lastly, we look at the announcement of Angel's Envy hiring Owen Martin to be their next master distiller. Angel's Envy hasn't had a master distiller since the passing of Lincoln Henderson back in 2013, who was a co-founder of the brand. Is this an attempt to fill a void that is missing after Wes Henderson announced his retirement earlier this year? With that, enjoy this week's episode, and now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char.
3: I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Craig Hickson, a longtime listener, who writes me on fredminnick.com. Of all the current active master distillers, do you see a possible new Dave Pickerel in the making, if that's possible? First of all, that's a great question, Craig, and I have to tell you, you should know that I was very close with Dave Pickerel. Well, I wouldn't say very close, but I considered him a friend and, and mentor. Uh, I have a picture of him in my office. And I have been contemplating that very question Uh, for the last couple of years. He passed away, you know, far too early. And I, I do think there are a couple. Now, of course, Dave Pickerel's career really gets its start at Maker's Mark, where he was the master distiller. Uh, he went on to uh, do a lot of consulting. He basically consulted for more than 100 uh, craft distillers. There's so many distillers that have his imprint on it. And the most notable ones are uh, Whistlepig. He was a master distiller and title for them. Uh, he also did a collaboration with uh, Metallica to create Blackened. You will still see his name on the label. And out of New York... Hill Rock Distillery. So those are the 3 that I think he's best known for, but he's also he also did uh consulting for the likes of St. Augustine, he consulted for Woodenville, I mean basically everybody. And I do think there is someone on the rise uh who is doing a lot of consulting in the game. I think it's a She's a far, far ways off from ever reaching Pickerel status because, you know, Dave Pickerel was an icon and he should be in the Bourbon Hall of Fame and a few other Hall of Fames. But uh, I think Marianne Eves is, is on track to have uh, kind of the consulting pedigree that he does. And on the on the blending side, Nancy Fraley, uh, you know, she's a little bit more specific but Nancy Fraley, I feel like, has achieved uh, that high-level consulting role in, uh, on a very, very niche area in, in, in blending. But in terms of someone breaking away from a major distillery and um, starting their own consultancy business, uh, we saw Greg Metz break away from MGP, and he was starting to kind of go on that track. And he got gobbled up by Old Elk and is an an incredible opportunity there. Jim Rutledge left um, Four Roses, of course, after 40-plus years at at Four Roses Distillery, and now is consulting and is associated with several distilleries. But I don't think we'll ever see anyone truly uh, reach the level of consultancy iconic status as Dave. But you will see a lot of people... You know, make their living and kind of move in and out of the out of the sphere of consulting, like he did. And I think Nancy Fraley, uh, Marianne Eaves, uh, Jim Rutledge, and uh, a handful of others are definitely making an impact. But will anyone ever reach that status? I don't think so. There's only and ever will be one day Pickerel. He was that special. And that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you want to be like Craig, hit me up on Fredminick.com. That's Fredminick.com. Click the contact button and let me know your idea. If I like the question, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers.
0: Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Welcome back, everybody. It is another fantastic Bourbon Community Roundtable, number 72. I was actually going to try to say it in Spanish, but I don't think I can do 72 in Spanish. Uh, I, it's, it's been a while since I've taken a foreign language, so I didn't want to try to the, try the, uh, do that one out there. But we have done this a lot now, and now we've got Ryan and I here tonight from the Bourbon Pursuit crew. At some point, I think we've just got to drop Fred. He's just becoming dead weight here. He's, he hasn't joined a, a Bourbon Community <laughs> Roundtable in a while. He told me he doesn't like these guys.
2: Um, <laughs> <Ooh>. um,
4: <laughs> they stink. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah.
1: He got tired of Blake's mic issues and just <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: said he couldn't do it. Good. He fixes one thing. He gets the internet fixed. And now we got <laughs> mic issues, but it's okay. We'll get there. You know, we're five years later. We're still, it's continuing By number 100, it,
5: we're
4: definitely going to be dialed in.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. We hope. <laughs> as, as Dave says, don't even try Spanish because uh, Dave says that I struggle enough with English, which is true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough.
0: Yes, 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 yes. So let's go ahead. Let's do a quick round of introductions, and then we'll dive into it. We'll start off with the guy here to our far right, which is our lawyer, resident lawyer, should I say the one that we pay all the big bucks to for all the, the good legal advice.
2: There, there you go. Happy, uh, happy Wednesday. Well this, well, this won't be out on a Wednesday, but live today anyways. Uh, thanks for having me again on number 72, Brian with Sip and Corn. Find me on the socials there and bourbonjustice.com.
0: And now that we have, don't have to worry about bourbon justice falling on your back, It was we were in the green room before we came on, and that, that big book cover just like whopped them in the head. You all missed a pretty good blooper <laughs> moment.
2: If only I knew a lawyer, I could sue the homeowner here. (laughs) (laughs) Blake, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, I'm
4: Blake from Bourboner and Sealbox.com. So always fun to be here. Thanks for having me.
5: For sure. And Jordan. Hey, guys. I'm uh, Jordan, one of the three guys from Breaking Bourbon. You can find us at Breaking Bourbon or BreakingBourbon.com. Always a pleasure to be here and chat with you boys.
0: And you're also batting a hundred when it comes to having zero microphone issues whatsoever.
5: We try our best here, Kenny. (laughs) (laughs)
0: They they see the hazing blankets every time.
1: (laughs) they're scared. (laughs) Yeah. That's
0: what it comes out to. And thank you so much for everybody that is joining us live here. Always love to have your commentary in the comments. I guess that's where it goes. And if you have something good to say, we'll put it up on screen and and probably. Maybe add it into the podcast as well. So thank you, everybody that is joining us live here tonight. So let's go ahead. Let's take it off. We've got three really good topics. And some of these are kind of really dialed into a particular brand and really niche focus. And then some are kind of, I guess you'd say a little abstract. And so this first one's going to be a little abstract. So let's kind of get into this one. So we know that right now everybody's expanding. There are new distilleries coming online. You see Blue Run dumping uh, a new $51 million. You see uh, there's another one that's going to start with three letters. That's going to do like $200 million. Buffalo Trace is doing a billion-dollar expansion. Heaven Hill is doing, what, 150 million or $100 million new distillery. So we see that new distilleries are coming online. There's a lot of things that that, that they're seeing that we're not seeing. But there's also, right now, a huge shortage of stave mills that are causing cooperages to increase prices and reduce allocations of barrels. And we also see that there's more product and more brands on the shelf every single day that are starting to pop up. And this is all just a side effect of what we're experiencing right now inside of what is the bourbon boom. But really the question that I wanna kind of pose to you all is what do y'all see happening when everything starts evening out? Production goes as planned. There's no shortages of barrels. You want barrels, okay, go ahead and get them. All the distilleries are online. Once we see this happen, are we going to see an overproduction and then what are some of the the near term side effects that we're going to see of overproduction cecil you're unmuted first up to you ooh this is a loaded question
1: with a lot of variables and what ifs but uh yeah i mean you know i'm bad at these pro- projections predictions cuz you know when it's funny when barston bourbon company you know, start building in a random cornfield and so they were going to contract a still for people. And I was like, they're out of our damn minds. Like, you know, that, that, that'll never work. And boy, was I wrong. And now hell we're working with them. But, um,
4: <laughs> but,
1: uh, money. it does feel like there's, we're starting to maybe reach a point where I don't know. There's just so much options on the shelf and so much that's going to be produced in the next five to 10 years that, and so much available because of investor barrels um, that there's going to be just so much whiskey on the market that I do feel, I don't want to say a glut, but I do think there's going to be a, you you definitely have to have a brand like a established brand to, to, to survive in this climate. I don't think that you're going to have these brands that like blue run who's obviously established now, but this pop up and have success within a year or two. I think that's those days have passed. I do think, you know, brands that have established probably within the last five, you know, even counting last year, probably the last five to six years are going to be okay. You're going to have enough time, but people getting into it now, I don't know. I just feel like there's going to be a really hard time to get your, get your, presence known in the marketplace because it's so crowded. There's so many different stories. There's so many different options. It's like, there's almost a fatigue, um, with consumers and, and you know, we we have a brand obviously, and we go out and talk to people and they're kind of communicating that as well. It's like, you know, and this is not a knock at MG. They're like, how many MGP brands can I have? And, or how many you know, Barstown Bourbon Company brands, or how many Wilderness Trail brands? You know, how many can we have? That's how do we differentiate all of these options? And you know, I, I do think that it's going to be tough for people, new people, to get into the market, unless India, Asia, and all those markets really start to switch from Scotch to Bourbon, and that's the big what if. And if that happens all bets are off. We're way underproduced and we better, it's going to be a still another arms race to uh, catch up because India is the number one drinking whiskey country and continent. And by far us is number two. And I think India's, you know, probably a thousand percent more than the U S is. And so I think Mike Shapiro said, if you convert one out of every 10 uh, Scotch drinkers from India, it would wipe out all the production that heaven Hill has done in the past you know all those 10 50,000 barrel warehouses all the expansion they're doing now it would wipe it out so you know if if american whiskey kind of just still stays you know a domestic product doesn't really expand into europe doesn't get popularity in asia i think there is going to be a whiskey glut but if it starts catching on over there i think uh you know we still got another and i still do think we have about a 30 to 60 year run of steady growth i don't think there's going to be this hockey stick that we've had the past 10. And so I'm rambling and I'd love to hear some other <laughs> folks, but uh, that's that's kind of my thought. It's it's all up to
5: Asia, I think, to where everything goes to the future. So yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna piggyback off what you said a little bit, Ryan, and, and add in a few more things. So I think there's a few key levers here, right? And it's going to be international expansion that continues to grow at a really rapid pace or steady pace even. It's going to be just consumer preference in the U.S., bourbon's always been a boom and bust type of spirit, right? You're going to see cycles of it being really hot and really not. And, you know, will consumers really pivot away and start gravitating towards tequila in mass? So, you know, everyone listening to this, everyone who goes to the website, listens to the podcast, reads the books, they're all diehard bourbon lovers, right? We're probably stuck with the spirit for life and we love it. And that's great. But other folks, not so much. So we do have our blinders on a little bit. Now, assuming that none of those things happen, I think, you know, future 25 year from now, Jordan's going to say, oh man, 2022, that was a great year for bourbon. It just keeps getting worse and worse. But I think if any of those things fall, so if international expansion slows down, Americans change their consumer preference, stuff like that, and there's just this excess amount of bourbon, I think what we're really going to see is more brands continue to pop up, but we're going to see more blending. A lot more blending is going to be taking place. So it's really gotten rooted in the last few years starting to see a lot more brands become just blending brands, which is awesome. But say five, 10 years from now, there's just this excess glut of bourbon that, you know, everyone is holding on to. They're not sure what to get rid of. Blenders now are going to have more choices than just going to MGP or Dickel. You're going to start seeing others needing to offload some of their barrels. And you're going to start seeing people starting to blend with barrels from large um, Kentucky distilleries or a lot of the small ones that have you know, gone extinct, et cetera. So it's either gonna be an amazing, an amazing blending period in 10 years, or everyone's gonna be right where they were saying, Man, I really wish I bought a lot more when I could when it was still only a hundred dollars a bottle or eighty dollars a bottle, et cetera. It's it's gonna go one or two ways. So I think it's gonna be really interesting. But a lot depends on, like I said, and what Ryan said, international consumer preference, you know, at home and going going from there.
0: Jordan, I kind of want to ask you a question about that. Yeah. So we we kind of looked at this as right now we see a sprawl of brands. We see a sprawl of extensions that are coming from every major distillery. Yeah. Now when you think of people that are coming out from the blending side of things, do you think that they'll actually be able to sell their product? I mean, to be honest with you, it's, it's, you know, everybody's right now, they're trying to create the new flavor of the month, or maybe it's in flavor of the week of, of what it is right now. So if somebody's going to try it and, and, you know, they're looking at di- different stocks from different places yep. and try to create this little blending project, is that enough that they can sell and market and build a business off of? Or are they just going to get lost in the, uh, you know, the, the ether of all the bourbon bottles that are on the shelf?
5: No, yeah, that's a really good point, Kenny. And I think it comes down to like anything. I think being a skilled, just like being a master distiller, I think even more so almost I'd say being a skilled blender, it is really an art. I mean, you really, you know there's and there's different levels of artists. Some are just okay, some are just phenomenal. So I think those who really stand out and those who are really really phenomenal, they're going to be held up and and those brands will be known, and they'll you know they'll rise above the rest and and a lot of others will just they'll come and go or people won't even know them. they'll be crowded on the shelves, et cetera. But if you're able to really hone your skill, and I do think being a good blender is a very, very, difficult skill to master, especially as you're having to source barrels from different distilleries in different ways and your variables keep changing. I think you're able to do it really well and hone your craft, you're going to stand out. Um, even those folks at home, if you know if you think it's easy to blend, go pick like 10 of your bottles and come up with different blends. Pick three at a time and start blending and see how many come out good and see how many come out really, really um, bad and just some come out phenomenal. It's really hard to hit that phenomenal one. Um, so those, those blenders are able to do that time after time. They're going to rise to the top. That's a good take. That's a good take.
0: Uh, Brian, you go ahead.
2: So, um, I, I I agree with most of that. And the, the other point that was striking me is I, I used to think all all of these distilleries are doubling their capacity or tripling it. They're all building everything new in the last five years. They're mirroring what they had. They're smarter than me. So I might try to predict something, look into my crystal ball, but they're the ones who look out 20, 25 years from now. And I got to give some credit to what they're doing. But then historically, you look back at the number of times the distilleries have made a mistake about that and they created their gluts and they they thought the horizon was there and then the market dried up. So, I mean, I, I don't know that I'm too rosy about the, the future and not having a glut. With all of the production that they're going to have, that's going to drown out the smaller folks, uh, because the 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 ones who have all the capacity, if they if they can't unload it to China and India, it's going to be cheap bourbon for us. So uh, you know, to some of us, hooray for that, but that's going to kill the the small producers. Um, it's just, it just seems like they're putting a lot away right now, and I sure hope India opens up. Because I, I agree with Ryan. I think that's going to be the key. If if that opens up, then there's not enough bourbon. And we get into the problem of shortage of barrel staves and wood that's uh, trees that are growing too fast. So the uh, the rings are further apart and you're not getting the same flavor that you are in your barrels. All those things could be problematic if this continues.
5: So what you're saying is good potential for the Orphan Barrel
0: 2052
5: <laughs> release to, to, really, right. to really do well.
0: No shortage of orphan barrels that you're going to (laughs) find around there. Blake, did you want to add something here?
5: Yeah, no, I'll jump in.
4: And so whenever we were looking at these questions, I just started looking around. It's like, hey, what's what's actually pushing this? And so I don't want to say it's contrary to the other opinions that have been shared, but I don't think we'll see a slowdown. Um, Well, I don't think we'll see growth stop. Maybe we see a slowdown in how fast we're going kind of, what Ryan was alluding to with it won't be the hockey stick, but, um, when you look at who's pushing this market forward, it, it's a lot of younger people, you know, even from our own demographics at Sealbox, the majority of customers we have close to 70%, at least are 45 and under. And uh, that's just not a, a group that will, all of a sudden wake up the next day and say, I don't want to drink bourbon anymore. So there'll be some shakeups. There'll be some slowdowns. We'll see brands go under just as more people are competing for the same, you know, dollars at the retail level. But I think we'll just continue to see bourbon grow and expand. And I don't think we're at an end. I still think we're short on barrels, even with all the additional, you know, production capacities and everything we have, because those are years down the road. So that's, you know, if, If Buffalo Trace is pumping in $1.2 billion, we won't see a drop of that for at least another man, seven, eight years, maybe. So that's a whole nother generation that will be coming up and getting into bourbon. And that's millions of people that will be drinking bourbon and will still be at the same thing. You know, I still think that gap between supply and demand is big enough where we've got 20, 30 years at the least, but before we start to see that gap between supply and demand get closer. But you know, that's my take. I I actually found this random article. I'll try to find it again and post it, but it talks about the, uh, the vodka bust of, it was like 2008, 2009. And they're basically saying, you know, hundred dollar bottles of vodka are are done. Nobody does that anymore. Well, people are still drinking vodka. I mean, I think Tito's is still the number one spirit in the country, um spirit brand in the country. So, you know, maybe we lose some of the 500, you know, 250 to $500 bottles. I don't think anybody's too upset by that, but bourbon in general is still Bullet Makers, Jim Beam, all these you know $30, $35 or less brands and I think that section is just going to continue to expand so
0: yeah i I do like your take there only because i'm i'm torn on it i can see where i really i really want is to grow it has to continue to grow for all of us that are sitting here right now a lot of us that are listening to this the ones that are joining live we all want it to grow only because that just means that whiskey's going to get bigger it's going to get better there's going to be more options uh, I know right now everybody's like, oh, I can't get my hands on the next allocated release. Well, guess what? You can just make up a new allocated release every day. And so at some point you're going to get your hands on one of them. The other side of me also looks at this and and I just see, well, A, the shortages that are happening inside of the, the current squeeze that we're in right now. And you try to think of, gosh, how can they really recover from this and how are they going to be able to take care of this? And of course, it'll it'll even out here in a few years. But when we also look at What's on the shelf today? And how much more room do we have for all these other distilleries that are dumping in tens, if not hundreds, of millions of dollars to even put more product out there that are already competing for shelf space? Now, I I know that we are looking at the international market, but that's that is a wild card at the end of the day. That is something that is not a guarantee. You've got to you have to have a traumatic shift in culture for something like that to happen. And so just, you know, trying to bet on thinking that India or China all of a sudden is going to pick up on bourbon, uh, if they haven't done it in the past, I don't know, what, 150 years? Like, what do you think it's going to happen in the next 10? So I, I don't think that we can put all of our eggs in that basket just to think that international is going to be the one that's going to kind of take it open. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, like I said, I'm a little bit torn on it, but I I, I am kind of. I'm, I'm bullish in the fact that I, I want it to grow, but I do see the G word cometh, if you will. And to make sure that, you know, you're not the one sitting there, you know, with your, with your hands out at the end of the day, and all of a sudden everything just kind of falls out from underneath you. If you're going really all in and you're going big, I hope you have a plan of what you're going to be able to do, because just putting whiskey on the shelves is not enough to be able to move it. And you have a, a real thing of, we uh, know we mentioned it before, but somebody actually put it in here on the chat as well of buyer fatigue. It is something that is true. It's happening. It's happening already. We talk about this week in bourbon literally every single week. We recorded it before we started recording with this. And so there's new bourbon releases happening all the time. And Ryan says at best that bourbon's a perfect product because as whiskey geeks, we're always going to keep chasing after the next thing because we still want to try it. But at some point, we all have a bunker of shelves that look like Blake's behind ours, or pretty much all of ours that we have more whiskey that we know what to do with, but that is going to continue to happen. The only thing that I think is, and Ryan has a really good stat and I'll let you share that to Ryan is when you try to look at the amount of cases that were sold and you know, back in the seventies when it was kind of in its height versus the population, what it is now, can you repeat that for everybody? Yeah. I mean, I don't have the, exact numbers but
1: something like and i was about to say this is where i'd see you know my first comments were kind of like the downside but here's the positive sides like i think bourbon peaked in 1970 you know the population was around 200 million and we i think bourbon sold around uh 35 million cases with a population of 200 million and in 2021 this was the latest discus numbers bourbon sold uh 27 million cases, and so well, there's 10 million cases still left to go in a population that has 330 million people versus 200 million people, and that's just domestically. And two, where right. I, you know, so there's obviously room for growth in that, but also too, where I see, you know, still room for growth is you look at the wine, you know, you go to total wine and you think bourbon's crowded, go to wine and beer, and you think about wine you know, if you want to go get a premium bottle of wine, like say nickel and nickel Camus, or, you know, one of those popular brands, that's a hundred, $150, $200 bottle of wine. You can go to any liquor store and get it right then and there. You can't say the same thing about bourbon. Like if you wanted to go and get, I'm going to have a dinner party and I want a well 12, you can't do it, you know? And so I think these distilleries, you know, we had, it's a few for a future episode, but we had, um, like. Gosh, I'm blanking on the name from Heaven Hill. Um, Susan Wall. Susan, yes. And, you know, basically they're robbing from premium brands because Evan Williams cannibalizing all the premium brands. And so they're, that's why they're expanding is because they're tired of robbing from the premium brands to fuel Evan Williams and Elijah Craig, you know. So they need, you know, Henry McKenna could be probably, it's only like a 35 to 40,000 case brand where it realistically could probably be a couple hundred thousand cases. You know, same with, you know, Elijah Craig 18 year and all these different premium expressions. I think people, that's what they want. And that's why these distillers. I mean, hell, you could probably put as much Weller 107 and Weller 12 or Pappy out there and people would buy it no matter what, you know? And so I think that's the positive, I think, of all these expansions is that those premium products will hopefully be available to when you want it at all times, you know, for, Not just like, oh, I got to call some freaky guy in Crestwood to meet up to get, (laughs) you know, for my grandson's 21st birthday. You know, you just go to the liquor store like you do for a nickel and nickel. And I think that's what the vision I see. That's also the other vision I see that bourbon needs to hit, too, is that you just can't go out and get, you know, those premium offerings that
0: you, you want all the time. I'll kind of fight back with you a little on that only because I don't like to fight back. I don't like (laughs) conflict. (laughs) All right. I'll push back a little bit. I only push back just a little bit only because I know that the consumer, everybody wants 18 plus whatever, even in the chat, somebody said, what's the side effect of overproduction? Well, it means that in a few years if it's overproduced people have, they have no choice but to hang on to stuff. And so you're gonna have some really well-aged stocks, you know, you're gonna have some nine, 10, 12 year old stuff. Now, You're going to get to that point only because some producers who couldn't live through it are now going under, then they have to sell it off. But I don't feel that distilleries are doing these expansions just to be able to produce more well at 12. For them to be able to make some money back right away, they're going to keep pushing out to the market uh, of what they currently have. And they're not going to start waiting until it hits those, those double digit ages to just then flood the market with a more premium offering. I don't I don't feel that that's going to be the the reason that they're going to be doing that. I just I would imagine that if they're putting the investment in, we all know that whiskey is a waiting game, but uh, they don't want to wait an extra 12 to 15 years to be able to recoup well, a dime. I, th- I
1: think that's why you see such big expansions is cuz they can do both. Is that and that's what they're trying to do is trying to fulfill both needs. And um uh, and too they've made record profits over the past 10 years so they you know, why not take advantage of the tax savings and invest in, you know, the whiskey and you can have best of both worlds, you know, so true story because the so government's yep. so good at spending our money, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and Andrew and Shear clearly took credit for all of bourbons growth yesterday at the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, pretty much <laughs> I, awesome. I digress though.
2: So, so you're saying there's, there's life past the hype and I'm actually never thought of it that way in, in comparison to wine. Um. I, I, I really like that point. That makes a lot of sense to me.
5: I think, you know, either way. So that's an interesting point, Ryan. And I think that actually ties into say that does happen or or say there's a bust in bourbon. and You have all this excess. I think it probably points to two things. And I think I saw it in the comments too. It's, it's a little bit like craft beer. So I noticed this as we travel the country, you're going to have distilleries that probably don't do well outside of a city. They're really local. They're really craft, but they have a hardcore following, right? And they don't need to grow to a national scale. They just need to grow to their city scale. That's it. That's all they have to shoot for. And they're going to be okay. Then you have those large distilleries. If they're able to fulfill and have, you can walk into a liquor store and buy your bottle of pap year round, whenever you need to. They'll be okay. And even if there's a bust, they'll be able to flood the market. It's those like mid majors, those guys who are trying to like be in between. They're going to be really, really pressed. Um, to succeed and that's going to be the that's going to be the hardest to um, no matter what route you take it's just going to be it's going to be hard to compete with that it's hard to compete with people who love a local brand and it's hard to compete when you have a national brand that can just dump a ton of bourbon into the market or keep a steady stream of the really really um, what's currently allocated stuff in the future might not be that, and that that's hard
0: to compete against too good points yep. all right any other kind of final things before we move on to the next one here
4: yeah, I think we go over under on will we hit more than 35 million cases within the next 10 years. So on uh, episode 200, you know, you got to pay up. I want a bottle of Pappy when we're when we're over that. That's uh,
0: <laughs> well, not that a problem. You can get on the shelf yeah. now, apparently. It'll
4: be on the shelf by that point.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it you know, and I sat there and I, I was at the Bourbon Hall of Fame and, you know, listening to Julian Van Winkle you know, talk about his father and his grandfather's story. And, you know, and it's hard to imagine, you know, that they had to sell and financial, you know, hardships and this and that. And like, and, you know, you're like, gosh, are we headed for that? But bourbon was so differently positioned than like, you know, old Fitzgerald back then was probably one of the only few premium brands out there. And it was positioned as a just working class. And it's just a, such a different, Product now that uh, I, I don't know. It, uh, you, you hear all these things and you get buyer fatigue, but I, I just still think there's still a lot of, I think there's still a lot of,
0: l- l- lot of inches left on that hockey stick to go. We'll take it. All right, so let's kind of head and let's let's move into the the next question here. And this is this is one I know David Jennings of, of Rare Bird. He wanted to be on here to be in at least the chat to kind of talk about this one, but we had to bring it up. And that's because Russell's Reserve, they're debuting an all-new, annual, limited collection called Russell's Reserve Single Rickhouse. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today, shopify.com slash bourbon. Russell's Reserve, they're debuting an all new annual limited collection called Russell's Reserve Single Rickhouse. And so their inaugural release is getting ready to come out. And this is coming from Camp Nelson C, And it features liquid from 72 barrels that are from now the dismantled seven story rickhouse of Camp Nelson C. So it's safe to say that this is something that bourbon geeks wanted. I think that we have known all along that when you go to a Russell's Reserve single selection, they'll say, oh, this is from Camp Nelson, whatever. Here's this other warehouse. And then all of a sudden, people just start gravitating. I mean, just kind of think back in the days of Four Roses and Tier 6 and Emmy and all these other kind of things that have these hype trains for a little bit. Now, as as bourbon geeks, we all gravitate towards something. And they clearly looked at this and they said, this is a product that we are going to gear specifically for the whiskey enthusiasts and consumer market, because I'm pretty sure all of us gave them the idea of kind of going down this route. However, the price tag for this one is a cool $250. So I want to kind of put it to you all. When we look at the a regular Russell's Reserve single barrel selection, we look at this one, which is. Nearly the same exact thing, maybe a, a few proof points higher, still non H dated, but it's around the 10 ish year mark. $250. I want to kind of talk about the price tag. You know, is it deserving of that premium price tag? Are they looking of just capitalizing on the LTO market, or is this something that is um, maybe, it, maybe it carries its weight? I think this
4: is a be careful what you ask for situation, which so. To answer the question, yeah, I think they did the right thing because this bottle will still sell out immediately. It'll be gone. You know, I I really doubt we'll see it on shelves. So, you know, good for them for getting getting a little more money in. And I'm sure that's one that would get flipped on Facebook or wherever else, and and you know, sell for a higher price point even at $250 retail. So, I think. This is just, you know, kind of what we're talking about before, where it's like, what's going to really keep bourbon growing and everything. And it's constant new LTOs. It's, uh, you know, different ways. Like, is it all that much different than a single barrel pick? Not really. I'm guessing flavor wise, it's pretty, it's really good. But so are some of those single barrel picks from Camp Nelson. But um, it's a a 72 barrel single pick. Yeah, I mean it's it's still a blend, but I'm just saying from a flavor flavor perspective, if you did it blind against some other single barrel picks, you know, I, I think I think this is just where the market's going. They're seeing what everybody paid for Russell's thirteen. They're seeing what everybody paid for the 1998 releases and all that, and thought, you know what, we can, we can get in on that. People have been asking for this. I think it's a cool concept. It really highlights the history of Wild Turkey. So. As a consumer, do I want to have to pay that much for every new interesting bottle that comes out? No, not really. But you know, maybe eventually this one ends up on the shelf. So then if you do want it, it is like that nickel and nickel wine where it's like, okay, I know I have to spend the money, but at least it's here whenever I want to try it. So yeah, I think it's good. I'm excited for it. I want to drink it. You know, Wild Turkey produces some really incredible stuff. So um I like it. I'm
0: yeah. right there with you. We we all want to try it. That I don't think that's uh, beyond any of us. It's yeah,
1: a, but you can't compare it to a Russell's Reserve Single Barrel because well, you can,
0: but you you can't. <laughs> Wait well, a minute. <laughs> okay, you can which try. Is a, it. Which is it? Yeah, you but can would
4: try, you try to, pay to compare If you see it on a shelf, would you would you? Pay yeah, but
1: here's the thing: you can't tomorrow. find Russell Reserve Single Barrels anymore. We go through it. We used to get our pick of the litter on those, and now we get very few. And That's what's happening to, you know, they're harder and harder to come by. And so it's like, okay, if you can't get those, here's your opportunity. It's going to cost you more, but, you know, it's, I think it's a supply and demand issue that, yeah, you could say, oh yeah, go get you a $55 Russell's pick. Yeah. Good luck. I mean, that's, that's the thing, you know, I mean, you could say, okay, is it, how much better is it than the Russell reserve, you know, standard 10 year that you can get, out there no that's a great debate but you can't compare it to you know doing a single barrel pick because those are so hard to come by anymore
2: i i don't think it it matters hardly what this is going to taste like i mean everybody's right yeah we want it we want to try it but 250 is the price um and i'm actually a little bit surprised it's not more Uh, wild turkey has been one of the brands that has a little bit been left behind well, to a large extent, been left behind on the premium limited edition side. And they're trying to warm their way, way up to selling something else for five hundred dollars a bottle and then seven fifty. And this is just their their continued play toward that. They're still recovering from diamond. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> still got some. It's funny though. Brian, was, Brian's still
4: recovering from diamond or while Turkey's still <laughs> recovering.
2: <laughs> I think it's just me. I, I'm, I'm holding that grudge. Everybody else is fine. You know, diamond, those credit card points.
0: if diamond
5: was released today, it would sell out instantly. And I think that's, it, it goes back to multiple number of points that I said, but you know, the birth of $500 bourbon, we wrote a really good article on that. It, it's here, right? Brands are starting to increase their prices. Look at how many bottles we reviewed that just 150, 200 constantly. And, wild turkey, right? They need to be there. They need to have those bottles on the market. We may not like it one bit, but from a consumer sense, they need to be able to say, here's our premium product. This is where you're able to buy. I can't tell you the number of friends and family and also readers that reach out to us, especially those who are like casual in the whiskey game, um, particularly in bourbon. Hey, I need to spend X amount on a bottle. It's not I want to spend. It's I need to spend because price equals quality in my book, right? And we've talked about this before. So they need that product that's, yeah, oh, it's sold out. Okay, but if you see it, I'm going to buy it. Why? Because it's expensive. It must be good. You know, we get in our little bourbon bubble or a little whiskey bubble, but the majority of consumers still equate, especially in whiskey, thanks to what Scotch did. The higher the price, the more premium it is. And um, they needed that bottle. They need, and we're going to see more distilleries start doing this. And it stinks. Trust me. You know, as a consumer myself, when I go out to buy bottles, I think the same thing. It's no shock. It's no surprise they are doing this. This won't be the last time either. There's going to be more. You know, we're going to see higher releases probably in a year or two, 300,
0: 400. That's going to start happening. So buckle up because it's not going to be a fun ride. Do you think they have to destroy a new warehouse every single time they do one of these? <laughs> uh, it depends on how much they can add to the price. They, you know, they might be willing <laughs> to do
2: that. Well, I'm just they, saying they, you know, need they, to make boxes, they need to make boxes out of the rick structure. And then that's how you make it a fifteen hundred dollar bottle. Easy,
0: easy three hundred.
2: That, that was the right Booker's
4: thirtieth right bottle, right? Um, yeah. I think that's what they did on that
0: one. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there's there's a lot of good marketing that plays in it. I know Matthew Layton's in the chat, and he's kind of talking about this is a this is a PR play, and it's I look at this, and and, and it is true. Also, from a PR standpoint, is that for most of us, especially in the whiskey media, whiskey geeks, we're always paying attention. And there's news every single week. We talk about it. And if you're not in the news every single week, then are you dying? What What do you have to talk about? And so for Russell's and for Wild Turkey to only take 72 barrels, how they could have done it with half that, maybe in a quarter of that, and still come out with some sort of LTO offering just to stay in the news, just to have something else that they can put out there, drive a premium price tag, and it continues this, this sort of train of, of, as Brian alluded to earlier, this hype train of, of like, how can you just continue to keep staying in the news, keep people, consumers on top of your mind and on top of your product. And that is, that is going to be a continual evolution that I, I think that we're going to see $250. I, I think that is, gosh, it, it, it pains you to say is like, I thought last, maybe, I don't know, a hundred, I would say a few years ago, we talked about hundred dollars being kind of like the new 50. And I think 250 is a new hundred. So, we're going to continue to to kind of see that that go up. But I also want to kind of bring up something else here that, that Matt Cusick had talked about as well as David Jennings when he talked about me, or he sent me a message and he said, you know, you see people right now with these bottles of uh, black Willet weeded eight year and people are paying well over the MSRP of $250. And, you know, it just has their crest on it. But, you know, Willet has this, I don't know, aura about it, that people will, will pay for it no matter what. And it's just an eight year. And so that's going to be, you know, less age than what you're seeing right now. So it's, it's interesting to kind of see the the consumer dynamic and how the consumer really values a particular brand and what they're willing to pay for it as well. Yeah. But will it's always positioned themselves kind of as a
1: premium. This is the incorrect word, but I'm going to say a bougie, you know, bougie bourbon brand, you know, it's, mm beautiful packaging correct no i mean it's old you know age stated you know beautiful whiskey beautiful packaging it it screams like you know i'm rich you know it's, it's very a, it's a luxury brand it's, a luxury, it's brand a, luxury brand a luxury brand and but russell's has been different you know it's been like you know you got jimmy and eddie we're everyday working class you know this and that and then from it's hard to go from what you're used to. It's a brand identity crisis, I think from people cause you're, it's almost like they needed to brand it something different than Russell's. Uh, you know, they, they needed to do something different cause it's, you know, Russell's is branded as such a, like, you know, an affordable, great 10 year bourbon. Um, And at $250, it's no longer that. So it's, <laughs> uh, you know, you kind of got a brand identity crisis there. It, I feel like with Willet that's, been on brand for, you know, as long as they existed. Very true. Very true.
4: So what you're saying is David Jennings is going over to Willet instead of Wild Turkey from <laughs> now on. Is, is that?
1: <laughs> I don't see David Jennings as a bougie bourbon drinker. <laughs> yeah.
4: No, but but it is a good point. I mean, it's. I think uh, unfortunately for Wild Turkey, a lot of people still think of them as 101 you know it's like oh man in college 101 was what we mixed everything with and and that's that's a hard one no matter how good the bourbon is um a hard one to fight off and you know so I think they're they're doing that with some of their limited releases and the the bourbon that's in the bottle definitely garners enough quality and and everything else to to have a higher price point so I think that's that's really all it is but they just have a harder time doing that because of the history of the brand, the other offerings and kind of where they've been positioned over the years.
0: All right. Well, let's, uh, let's kind of move on to our last topic for the evening. So back in February this year, one of angels envy's founders, Wes Henderson, he announced his retirement. And this week angels envy announced that Owen Martin will be joining the company in October as their master distiller. And he's coming from Strana So as a company, that has never had a master distiller as a public figure, except for Lincoln Henderson, when he was there, when he passed back in 2013, do we find this as a move to find Wes's replacement and to kind of fill that empty void that maybe they're missing?
2: They need a, some sort of master blender, you know, back to those comments earlier before they need a master distiller, right? I mean, they, they need the, the, with what they push with barrel finishing, that's, to to me it it struck me as odd that they would feel the need to do this and they're smarter than me it's so it's it'll be a fine play for them but it doesn't strike me as something that they needed
5: so here's what jumped out at me well two things jumped out at me the first is this kind of moves their at least as a company trying to move it away from the henderson brand so they, they didn't look internally. They looked at well. Let's let's not name a Henderson in succession of this, right? So let's bring in an outside face, which was interesting, right? Wrong and different, just interesting. And I think it'll do well for the brand. And then the other thing that came in mind was where they were coming from. Is man Stranahan's can't hold on to a master distiller now. So they seem to be the place where you know people go. And after Rob left a few years later, now they lost another master distiller. It's it's kind of tough for them. There was also that domino effect going on too, which I thought was really interesting.
0: Well, I don't think you can blame anybody for leaving a position knowing that you're leaving somebody like Stranahan's to go to a place like Angel Envy. Angel's Envy is probably known a little bit close. Oh, to I don't the blame
5: him for leaving. I'm just saying, I think Stranahan's has a, um, has an interesting, you know, they, the line of succession there is a little bit more difficult than, and I don't blame him one bit. I would probably hop from. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's probably, probably like the a stepping stone. Would you rather live
4: in uh, Kentucky or Colorado? Well, I don't, I don't know. Pros and uh, cons.
5: So. Both are very nice in yeah. very different ways. Yeah. They're, the say, they're, like, they're a, a major
2: stuff,
4: basketball right. coach.
2: Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
4: So I, I kind of actually took this as the opposite of, of what Jordan was saying. I, I, I took this as they brought in somebody to handle more of the production side. And I assume Kyle will take more of a forward facing, you know, be that person who's who's constantly on the road and and he's good. And so I think I think that would be smart for them because it still keeps it in their Henderson family. And with him being not as tied to the actual operations of the distillery blending and everything else they're doing in Louisville he's he's more open to be kind of the face of the brand as Wes phases out. So that that's kind of how I read into it. I could be completely wrong, and maybe that's not the goal at all with this. But to me, it was like, hey, let's take take away some of the day-to-day in the the heavy lifting so he can phase more into the role of, you know, he already has the knowledge and everything else. He can phase more into the role of where his dad was and granddad of being the face of the brand. But who knows? That, I that's guess, well,
5: that, that's a... Thought. Fair point, Blake. Let me counter that, though, especially in today's climate, right? How many brand ambassadors, especially after Al Young passed away, can you really name for... Well, would an average consumer be able to name for a brand versus a master distiller, a master blender, which seems to be equated one and one of the... Bernie companies.
1: lovers is probably the only one that... And, well, that's so why we can I think name Bernie, but how many
5: consumers yeah, know Bernie? Probably none.
4: True. But that's why I think it's important because of the last name to make sure that he is... that there is a Henderson. And i I I'm blanking on the other son's name, but, um, I know he's involved as well, but, um, why it's important, you, you know, you look at, at being with Fred and Freddie, no, like, you know, Freddie knows his stuff. Like he's been in about every position, but eventually there came a time to take on that master distiller title, but you know, that that's not the heavy lifting in the distillery. It's, it's still being the face of the brand. So I don't know, it'll be interesting. I, I'd be shocked if the the new master distiller for angels envy is going to be the one on the road doing tastings and jumping on famous podcasts, like bourbon pursuit. Um,
0: one of these, you know, I still
4: think that would be like Kyle and, and Wes doing all that. Yeah. I mean, and if they, if that was their
1: goal and no offense to this guy, he's probably a fantastic distiller. And this is that if you're going to do that, you name somebody that's more well-known in, in the industry if that's your goal is to try to get somebody that's been more established probably with the big five or six distilleries that people can relate to you know stranahan's probably doesn't relate to kentucky bourbon people you know so i think probably this is more of an operational like you said side and kyle's very he's very good on talking public speaking he's very you know he can Talk with the best of us. He's he's Wes's son, so let's be real. I mean, Wes is very good uh, dealing with the the media and being in the public eye. So uh, I think Kyle will be, you know, very. But he's also very good at the operational side too. I mean, he, he's done very well there as well. So it's it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, but I agree with Brian. I thought Angel Zimby would be a perfect role for to hire some really good master blender because you're working with all these finishes and whatnot. It's not so much about the distilling it's all about uh you know creating interesting unique flavor profiles from the the finishes and blending aspect. so i i do agree with brian in that regard they could have hired me <laughs> they <could've>.
2: i could <laughs> have
0: but you'd have to decline it that's that's too, i wouldn't let you do it i wouldn't let you have
2: it i, it's, I wouldn't it's leave that you, first you. Two spirits non-compete you'd have to fight that's right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah. it doesn't does concern
1: saying. me that Brian, as our attorney, keeps saying people are smarter
4: than him. He keeps repeating that. <laughs> <way over. laughs> Brian, can we get the names of those people? We'd like to hire them. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I do want to tailor tack on just one thing to what Blake said, because as you said, that is actually a, a, I, I wish we wouldn't have to do much speculation because if. If they did have this idea of, well, Kyle's now going to kind of get out of a lot of the day-to-day operations, potentially start being the new face of the brand. Because Wes was not a distiller. He was not a blender. He was the chief innovation officer or chief party officer or whatever they they called him. it, It was something that was kind of like a role where he got to kind of do what he wanted. And that was being the face of Angel's Envy, being at all the shows, the concerts, shaking hands with celebrities and being that person that. That is that is how we connect somebody that's with a blue check mark to the name of Angel's Envy. And now if they're going to take Kyle to that, I wish inside of the press release, they would have said something about and Kyle is going to be doing this now because it really left it open ended for us to start figuring out, well, what is Kyle going to start doing? Is he going to be doing the same thing? Is he going to be moving into the same uh, a different direction? Has Angel's Envy and the Bacardi family started looking at it and saying, hmm maybe we need to go a different direction on how we are going to position our brand to the consumer. Is it going to be the master distiller that does this? I don't know. I think that that kind of leaves a lot of up to to speculation. But to kind of echo what what Ryan and everybody else said already is that Kyle is, he's a great person. He knows what he's doing behind the scenes. I doubt they're doing that, but they're just leaving it to us to kind of formulate opinions.
1: And look at the playbook of all the other majors. I mean, it's all about the families that created it. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I mean, Centauri could very easily have pivoted from the nose a long time ago, or same thing with Campari, same thing with all the, you know, Buffalo Trace and everyone. They could makers. get away from makers. I mean, they could easily say, you know, we're going to try to distance ourselves from the people that created this. And I don't think that's a wise move because Bourbon has that such connection with the story and, it's a working. It's a story of you know someone who's worked hard and worked and sacrificed and built a brand and gave in everything to them, their passion and soul. And I saw that at the Bourbon Hall of Fame more than ever yesterday. How these people just have literally given their life and all their time to this industry. And I think that's a you know a romantic and poetic story that consumers really latch onto. So I I don't think. It it would be wise to move away from that.
2: Yeah, I I agree completely with that point. And it was on display yesterday at, at Hall of Fame. I mean, you listen to Jim Rutledge and the guy just he just oozes bourbon and that's that's the guy who you want to talk and you get Fred No up there and I mean it's just you can't top those guys and you need to keep you need to keep facilitating that and Kyle's the person to do that for Angel's Envy, no doubt, no doubt. Yep. So, do we get like a consulting
4: fee for giving Angel's Envy this great advice about <laughs> <laughs> how we think they should uh, handle the next steps in in their uh, company?
0: I'll let you know when the Venmo comes in. We'll split it five ways. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all I can I can add to that. Hopefully, hopefully, we'll, we'll make that happen. But any other things that we want to add on to to this? I, I think it's a an interesting sort of way to to see that. Owen's going to be coming into this. I'm sure he's fantastic. I know we don't probably know much about his background, but him coming in and and taking over the operations. I know it'll be operations, but it'll be interesting to kind of see also what he will be doing in regards of a a public facing sort of role as well, if they're going to dual home that with the existing Hendersons and, and kind of how they're going to blend the family and the history and their story all together, too.
5: I think one more thing to add, and, and what's exciting is he brings an outside perspective, right? So there might be a lot of innovation coming out of Angels MV, especially in the next few years, with just some of the thoughts and ideas and things he wants to try out that, you know, the Hendersons might not have thought of in the past. So that's that's never a bad thing whatsoever for a brand.
0: I'm gonna, I'll challenge you on that one. I, I we have got to be towards the end of how many other types of wine barrel finishes can we put out there mm. because that's I mean I honestly don't know how many more you could possibly well, find. You never know
5: I mean you know with the with the definition of American single malt taking place maybe they'll move into American single malts or stuff like that you never there's just so much different ways that brands could go and I, I agree we're probably beyond dead with barrel finishes but there's other things that you can do uh, you know inside of innovation so just an outside perspective never hurts.
2: Well, yeah yeah and I mean I made American
5: and, Whisk go, go ahead sorry
2: no, sorry, sorry. I was just gonna say single malt was the first one to really do barrel finishes. When you start messing around with different casks, so gotta that, cover up that, that shit, you know. That'd be interesting. <laughs> All right, right go is. ahead, Brian. My bad. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I agree.
1: You know, with the American whiskey is not. I, I think the future. You know, people say we're in a glut too. I think the future is American whiskey is going to be this just exploding category of not just bourbon and rye. I think it's going to be single malts and all this different stuff that we, we can't even think about right now that, uh you know, our palates are going to keep progressing in different ways that we don't even know. And uh, I think, you know, obviously Stranahan's a, you know, a, a malted whiskey and um maybe that's the way they're going. I don't know.
0: We'll see. Only time can tell, but we had an opportunity to be able to do what we always do best around here. And we will try to think and I don't know, just, ponder up different ideas that may or usually not come to fruition but it always is a great opportunity to get you all on here and tackle some of really what's happening in regards of recent bourbon news and i want to go ahead and just sh- give a shout out to myself because i didn't say potpourri this time y'all <laughs> oh i know gosh, y'all yeah y- yeah you got on me so many times of like oh it's a potpourri i didn't say it this time it's a hodgepodge it's a smorgasbord we had a good roundabout of topics tonight Yep. I had a potpourri of comments. <laughs> <There we> go. <laughs> all
2: right. So let's go ahead. Let's wrap it up. Brian, I'll start with you. All right. Thanks again. I'm glad to hear that you guys uh, think about what you're going to say beforehand, because uh, I, I don't know that I do that all the time, but uh, it's uh, good to be on number 72. Brian was sipping corn. Find me on the socials there. Thanks, guys. Blake.
4: Yeah. Once again, always fun to be here. 72 in a row, the Cal Ripken of the bourbon Roundtable. table. I haven't used that line in a while, so I figured tonight was the night, uh, especially when I got off on a shaky start with the uh, audio situation. But yeah, Blake from Sealbox and Bourboner, as always, thanks for having me. This is always fun. Enjoyed it.
0: For sure. And
5: Jordan. Thanks, guys. This is Jordan, one of the three guys from Breaking Bourbon at BreakingBourbon.com. Always happy to be on. And I just want to give out a shout out to everyone on the chat, too. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're not joining these live and hopping on the chat, these are super fun to do live in real time. So hopefully we'll see you
0: live in a future roundtable episode. For sure. We I had around 100, around 100 people on this one. Actually, I think we had I think it was 110 or 112 at peak. So awesome to be able to have the community kind of join in. Be here yeah. live, be able to throw your comments on the chat, and everybody kind of gets a good laugh in the background too. Yep, and 72 in a row with Blake having
1: technical issues. <laughs> <laughs> there's,
4: there's a few streaks going on with me being on all 72 episodes, but I just want to point out it wasn't me last time. There was somebody hey, else. Hey, uh, hey, 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 hey,
2: hey. I didn't
4: change anything from the last time, and somehow my mic still screws up, so hey. Uh, All those kids, man, they're
0: probably pulling cords. Yeah,
4: Yeah, out here playing Minecrafts or something.
0: (laughs) It's probably what it is. But guys, I want to say thank you so much for coming on. We had a great bunch of topics that we kind of went through, and we'll be back once again in four weeks with even more good things to talk about. There was actually even one that came in the chat earlier from Alan Pawlowski that I think we might have on the next one, and that is, how do you define premium? So that'll be another one we'll we'll talk about in the next one because when we talk about Russell's Reserve being a premium, well, what actually defines that? So we'll tackle that in the next roundtable. But with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next week.